Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. And Lord, as the choir was just singing, Lord, there's no one like you, Jesus, who came to this world, surrendered it all, so that you might save us and bring us into your heavenly kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice you paid to bring us together as your people, called according to your purpose, called to be a, a light in the midst of the darkness that is all around us, called to be your church, your bride, the splendor of your glory. Oh, Father, today as we open up your word, I pray, Lord, that you would purify us. Lord, that you would make us holy by your word. Bless us now in this time, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 10 through 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. If you do not have a Bible, then I invite you to take the Pew Bible there in front of you. And you can turn to page 895 in the Pew Bible. 895 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then I invite you to take that Bible with you. And that's our gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and read that for your edification. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. You know, Satan would like nothing more than to divide the church. Cause division within the church, to break the unity that is within the church. Why? Why does he want to cause division? Why does he want to cause turmoil and bitterness in the church? Well, even the Lord says in Matthew chapter 3, if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. You see, Satan knows this truth. He knows if he can divide the church, we'll fall. Our, our ministry, our witness in the community will be removed. And so one of the, the biggest places that Satan likes to tear at the church is to cause division. To go a little have little bickerings here and there. Little fusses and fighting, fights going on throughout the church. If he can break up the church, if he can divide the church, oh man, he's, he's won the day. And this has always been a problem. I mean, the Satan has no new tricks. This is an old trick. He, he's been at this, this for decades and, and centuries trying to divide the church. 
So we see it in, first, in, in the church at Corinth. This new church that Paul has planted there in the city of Corinth. They, they're a blossoming church. And, and what happened? As soon as Paul leaves and, and goes off somewhere else, uh, the b bickering begins. The infighting begins to, to take place. And, and there's now division where there should be unity within the church. So Paul is writing to them to address the disunity wanting them to find unity within the body of Christ as much as Satan would like to divide the church dear friends Christ wants to unify the church he wants to unify us I mean after all Christ died to unify us not only did he die to, to reconcile us to God, you've heard me say this before, but he also died to reconcile us to one another, to heal old wounds and to bring unity within his church, his bride. Christ sends the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to dwell within us. And then the same Spirit that dwells in me dwells in you, dear Christian. It's the same Spirit. It's not different spirits. It's the same Spirit, and He lives in us to unify us, to bring that bond of unity within the church. And so our text today teaches us to pursue unity in Christ. Pursue unity in Christ. That's what we must do at every turn. Satan wants to divide us. But we must pursue unity. We must pursue it. I hope that today as we, we look at this, well, as we look at it, we're going to see three realities of unity in our text today. Three realities of unity. And I just hope to encourage us to, to do that, to pursue unity. To weed out any kind of uh, hint of disunity that's within the church. Weed it out, stomp it out, and let's seek unity. Pursue unity with a passion. Now, as we come to our text today, we, you remember we, we've been looking at the introductory to Paul's letter to Corinth here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he's had the intro and he's already began to address some of these issues. Now he's getting into the body of the letter. Now he gets down to business, right? And, and the first problem that Paul seeks to address is the unity problem. I mean, that is premier on his, his thought. He wants to address the, the disunity within the church and and. And, and encourage the church to seek unity. So in chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through chapter 4, verse 21, Paul is really focusing in on unity. So we're going to be spending some time looking at unity over the course of the next few weeks. But even today, as we begin this, we want to see this foundation of seeking unity in Christ. Now you remember uh, Corinth, this town of Corinth, is a, a very secular city. It's a very secular city. Um, there's it's lots of commerce, a lot of politics going on there. It's a very secular city. And Paul is calling the church at Corinth to be countercultural, to, to live different than the secular culture that is all around them. And his first 
command, his first address of, of addressing this, of, of calling them into a countercultural living, is to call them to unity. Unity within the church. So if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, please stand with me as we read God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of, uh, household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Amen. May the Lord have blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we begin to look at the text this morning, the first reality of unity that we see here, uh, we must realize here that unity is important to Christ. Unity is important to Christ. Uh, notice how Paul begins this, this passage here, this paragraph, I appeal to you, Brothers, now that, that's kind of a, a general brothers, brothers and sisters. I appeal to you, brethren. Uh, I appeal to you, the whole body of the church. And, and this is an urgent appeal. I'm appealing to you. I'm urging you. Please don't miss this. I'm urging this. I urge you. I urge you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Notice that. Paul's urging them, but Paul is urging them not by his own name. This isn't just coming from Paul. Paul being an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, I'm urging you by the name of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is urging you. It's not just me, brothers and sisters. It's not just my thoughts here. Jesus is telling you this. Jesus is urging you to be unified. This is important to Jesus. This is important to Christ. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to have unity. I urge you by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree. Literally, that term agree there, uh, it, it means to, to say the same thing. I urge you to say the same thing, to have the same testimony. 
And then he goes on, I urge you to all to say the same thing and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He uses this word same over and over and over again. He wants there to be unity in the church, that you have the same testimony, that you have the same mind, that is the same mindset, that you have the same conviction. Now, Paul is not going for just kind of a blind kind of, uh, this kind of blind conformity, right? That, that's not what he's desiring here. In fact, later on in the letter, he, he's going to encourage that there, that there be uh, diversity, right? We want to see diversity in the church. We're all different. We all have different talents and different spiritual gifts that we bring to the table. And so there's to be that diversity. So there, there is to be difference. But we're not to allow our differences to be divisive. We're not to allow those differences to, to get in the way of the unity of the church. We're to have the same kind of mindset. We proclaim the same testimony, Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen again. He is our Lord and Savior. We say the same thing. We have differences of opinions on, on certain things, but, but we're united in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ calls us to unity. He wants us to be unified. You know, it's kind of like a song. We just got through singing all these songs. And as the musicians were playing and the singers were singing, the musicians, they were playing all kinds of different notes, right? It was all kinds of different notes that they were playing. And the, the singers, they were, t they were all singing different parts and different harmonies. But, but you know, when all of those harmonies come together, it makes a beautiful melody, doesn't it? That's the way the church is to be. Yeah, we're, we're diverse, right? We've got lots of different kinds of people here and a lot of different ideas. We have differences of opinions about this thing and that thing and the other thing. But, but we're to all to come together to make a beautiful song for the Lord. We're to be unified. We're to, to, to take advantage of our diversity. But we're never to allow our diversity to break our unity. Our unity is important to Christ. We must be unified in the Lord. And let me just say, the key to unity is humility. The key to unity is humility. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, I love this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, that each of you not, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The key to unity is humility, dying to self. Saying, I don't always have to have it my way. I don't always have to have it my way. We put our own desires, our own uh, wants, our own preferences on the back burner for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ. Unity is important to Christ. Therefore, it must be important to us. It must be important to us. So unity is important to Christ. Knowing that, it is un- that unity is important to Christ, we must then realize that unity is endangered by factionalism. Unity is endangered by factionalism. Uh, that is these kind of, uh, these little groups, right? We, we see this in society everywhere. You, you get in your group, and you got your group, and your group does your thing, and, and, and you're just opposed to everything else, right? And there's this factionalism that, that is endangering the unity of the church. It's always there ready to endanger the un- unity of the church. Notice what Paul says in, in verse 11. We pick up there. He says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarreling, there's quarreling among you. There's bitter, bitterness, there's, there's bickering. There's arguments. There's quarreling among you. Quarreling. And what's the, the reason for this quarreling? What I mean, he says in verse 12, what I mean is that each of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And they have all of these different personalities that they're kind of coming underneath. Some of them say, hey, I follow Paul. I'm in his camp. Paul is kind of the plain kind of guy, right? He, he comes in and, and he's not talking with eloquence or any of that kind of thing. He's just saying, here's the message. Here's the gospel. Here it is. It's plain and simple. He's a traveling missionary. He's got some health issues. He's got a thorn in the flesh. We, we read another text that, uh, that, that's affecting him. So he's not quite, uh, he's not quite appealing to, to those who like the eloquent speaker. And so you have some who say, I follow Paul. And then others say, well, no, I follow Apollos. Because Apollos, he was the, kind of the, the Jewish-Greek kind of guy. And he was, all, he, he was very eloquent in his speech. He was a smart guy. He knew the Bible well. But, but he was eloquent, right? He, he knew how to, to speak. And, and he knew how to line out his sermons. And so, hey, I follow Apollos. Some say, well, no, I follow Peter. Apparently, Peter had come through at some point, came through uh, Corinth and, and kind of left his mark on the scene. And so that's who Cephas is. It says Cephas, but that's a, the uh, Aramaic name for Peter. So Peter came through and said, oh, no, I follow the original, right? I follow Peter. He walked with Jesus. He was right there with him. I follow Peter. Now, I think Paul, uh, Paul actually inserts this kind of as a, guys, wake up. He says, I follow Christ. 
Paul's saying, you shouldn't be following Paul or Apollos or Peter. You should be following Christ. And that's exactly where we should be. We should not allow factionalism to kind of break up our church, but we should be following Christ. You know, this was kind of the, the common way among the Greeks of Paul's day that you, you find your teacher that you kind of get behind and, and, and you follow that person. You were in their school of thought, and so you followed them. And, and they would even have this where students would, would get out and, and kind of make fun of other students. Out in the, the public square, make fun of them, try to ridicule them. So, so maybe they would leave their teacher and come over and follow their teacher. So the Corinthians, are, they're just doing what, what was normal in society. And we see the same thing in our society, don't we? I mean, this is the way it is in our society. Now, this is a little out of fun, right? We, we, we have our factionalism over our football teams, right? We can have fun there, all right? It's all right. LSU, yeah, and, and then we got the Arkansas Razorbacks, and we can have fun about that, and, and that's, that's great. But, but we could take it to extremes, and I, I've seen people who take that to extremes, and, like, there's division because of football and sports. A little more serious, we do see factionalism over politics. We see this a lot. I'll be honest, I struggled with it for a while myself because, you know, I, I have my thoughts. And, and so, man, if you don't follow my thoughts, then something's wrong with you. And I kind of had to struggle through that myself. And I, uh, that's one time that my, me and my father kind of went toe-to-toe -to -toe was over politics. And, and so uh, I have to, had to back up a little bit and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now just because a, certain per a person belongs to a certain party and I don't agree with all the politics of that party, that doesn't mean they're not a Christian. They're not my brother and sister in Christ. So we can have those differences of opinion, but you know, when we come in here, politics is outside. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no Republican, Democrat, or Independent. We follow Christ. In society... Yeah, they're polar opposites. In society, we see the fighting going on between Democrats and Republicans. And you may be all excited about politics, but when you come here, let me tell you, there's some folks in here who are Republican, and there's some folks in here who are Democrats, and there's probably some folks in here who are independents. And that doesn't matter. You're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. Whatever your political views are, I love you in Christ. We can't allow our politics to divide us. I just want to say that's one of the big problems in the SBC right now. One of the biggest problems in the SBC right now, our convention, is politics. Because there's too many preachers out there who are allowing politics to divide the convention. That's sad. That's sad. We've got a far greater mission than Washington. We've got a far greater mission than what's taking place even down in Baton Rouge or anywhere else. Our mission is the kingdom of God. 
enlarging his kingdom. We can't allow politics to take us off mission. We can't allow politics to come into the church and divide the church. Church, we must be unified. We cannot follow the course of the world. We must be counter-cultural. We can't allow factionalism to come in and, and begin to build groups even within the church who are at war with one another. That's not going to work. Throw it out. Our mission even says love God, love one another, and love our world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we must guard against factionalism. You know, the first step into overcoming any problem is to acknowledge, is to acknowledge that it's there or to acknowledge that the possibility of it is there. I mean, that's why we get vaccinated, isn't it? We get vaccinated because there's diseases out there that threaten us, and we don't want those diseases, so we go and we get vaccinated to fight against those diseases. Well, the same is true in the church. We have to recognize that this is a tool of Satan. He wants us to divide into groups. He wants to have this little group over here who thinks this thing, and this little group over there who likes this, certain, this thing a certain way, and this other little group over here. And he wants these groups to start bickering and fighting amongst themselves to the point that the church ends up dividing. That's his goal. We have to recognize that, and we have to fight against it. We must fight against it. Anytime that there's factionalism starting to build within the church, we must address it. We must do things to bring unity back within the church. We must protect the unity of the church by understanding how divisions take place. We must guard against factionalism. So unity is important, in the church, is important to Christ. It is endangered by factionalism. Now, if unity in the church is to be maintained then we must realize that unity demands Christ-centeredness. Unity demands Christ-centeredness. How do we keep unity within the church? We focus on the right thing. We focus on Christ. We focus on Christ. That's what Paul is getting at here. Look at, look at what he says here. He asks these rhetorical questions, and it just gets the point of, 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 across. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? No, Christ is not divided. Christ is unified. He is whole. He is complete. And guess what, church? We're the body of Christ. What Paul is getting at here is that when we allow disunity to start breaking up the church what are we doing we're cutting christ we're cutting him in half we're cutting him in two that won't work christ is unified christ is one he is whole and as christ is one his body must be one his church must be one is christ divided no he's not he is unified 
though Christ-centeredness means to be unified, centering on the unity of Christ. Second rhetorical question, was Paul crucified for you? Was Paul crucified for you? Christ-centeredness is focusing on the cross of Christ. Paul wasn't crucified for the people of Corinth, nor was Peter or Apollos or anyone else. Christ was crucified for them, and Christ was crucified for us. He gave his life to unify us. He gave his life so that we would be brought together and reconciled. He gave his life so he could send his spirit to live and dwell in us. And will we divide him? Will we have disunity? After Christ gave himself up for us, he died to unify us. Let's not bring disunity into the church. Nice little tune there. So, Christ, there's unity of Christ, there's the cross of Christ. But then look, that, that final rhetorical question there. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now to baptize, what does it mean that you're baptized in the name of, of Christ? That's this point. There, you know, you were not baptized in the name of Paul. You were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? To be baptized into Christ is, is that first profession of faith. Really, right? That's that, that first step that we take, that we proclaim to the world that we are in Christ. We are coming under his leadership. We have been crucified with him. We've been buried, going under the water, and we've been raised again in him. We are coming under his leadership, his lordship. That means that as we are centered in Christ, we're centered in the, the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our head, not me. Not me, I'm the pastor, I'm the under-shepherd. I'm not the, the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. He is Lord. And if He is our Lord and He wants unity in the church, then we submit to His leadership. We submit to his lordship and we seek unity just as Christ seeks unity for us. So when we begin to make divisions within the church, we're saying, Lord, I'm going to step out from under you at now and I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to go do my own thing. Are we going to do that? We can't do that. We are under his leadership, his lordship. So, we must be unified in Christ. That's the only thing that holds us together. Christ is the only thing that holds us together. When we're in Him, we are unified. When we start getting in the flesh, that's when disunity creeps in. 
That's why our mission statement is to love God through gospel-centered living, love one another through gospel-centered community, love our world through gospel-centered outreach. It's all gospel-centered. And to say it's gospel-centered is to say it's Christ-centered. We're centered in Christ. He is everything. When Christ is everything to us, then we can find unity and we can maintain unity within the church. Hear me now, when Christ is everything, carpet color is nothing. When Christ is everything, paint color is nothing. When Christ is everything, all of the things that we get in a tizzy about is nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make a hill of beans. This building in another hundred years will not be standing here most likely. All these pews will be rotten. What does all of this, any of this matter? Christ is everything. He is eternal. We center everything in Him. It's all about Him. It's about exalting Him. It's about glorifying Him. It's about proclaiming Him. It's about bringing people to Him. And none of this other stuff matters. None of it matters. Who cares if this church is here in a hundred years? Christ is eternal. That's what matters. When your neighbor dies, are they going to go into his eternal kingdom? Or are they going to go perish in hell? That's what matters. And when we allow disunity and discord to take a hold of the church and divide us, guess what? We're telling the world Christ isn't supreme. Christ isn't important. Christ brings disunity, discord. But when we stand united, when we die to self, to live in peace and harmony with one another, we testify to the world, Christ is everything. How is it y'all get along so well? How is it y'all have such a great family-like uh, atmosphere in your church? Because Christ gave himself for us. I'm going to be honest, I love this church. And I'm so thankful for the family atmosphere that is here. I was talking about it in my class earlier today, and I've talked about it with uh, friends and family. This is my family. You are my family. And we have that, that harmony. We have that peace. We have that brotherly love. Oh, we've, we've had our bits and pieces. It's always, as long as sin's in the world and, and, and we're sinners, so, right, we're going to have little, uh, little arguments here and there. That's all right. It's all right. We can disagree about things. But we can't allow those disagreements to tear us apart. We can never allow those disagreements to tear us apart. I will die to self. I will put my own thought and my own opinion to the, to the side. My own desires, my own preferences, I'll push them to the side to keep unity within the church. And each and every one of us must do that. It's about the gospel. We stay unified because we want to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. 
We want to proclaim a God who can overcome differences, who can overcome uh, arguments, who can overcome all of the things that the world has uh, to offer to unify us as one body in Him. We must seek unity in Christ. We must pursue unity in Christ with everything that we have. And to do that, the Christ-centered focus is key to that unity. Christ-centered, key, Christ-centered focus is key to that unity. I love how Paul ends this. And this, this last verse, verse 17, kind of works as a transition into next week's message. But, but he's making a point here. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be Uh, the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Paul comes back to this. This is my purpose. And I think what Paul is saying, this is your purpose, church. It's to proclaim Christ. It's to proclaim Christ. That's it. All of these other things don't matter. It's just about proclaiming Jesus Christ. Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. And dear friends, we must keep the main thing, the main thing, always and forever. Dear Christian, maybe today you realize that you've been allowing uh, opinions, your own opinions carry you off and, and, and cause you to to have disunity with others even in the church. Maybe today you realize that, that you need to repent and turn away from your own opinions, your own desires, your own preferences for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ. I just ask you today, commit yourself Repent from that and commit yourself to bringing unity, being a, a, an instrument of unity within the church. And pray for strength. Pray for strength today. In a minute when we have this time of prayer, pray for strength in your own life. Pray that God would give you strength to be a unifier, not one who causes division. Now for some here today, You've never known Christ. You've never entered into a relationship with Christ. And all of this seems kind of strange to you. I want you to know today that Christ Jesus came and He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father's will and He died on a cross for your sins, paying the penalty for your sins. So that he could bring you into a unified relationship with himself and to bring you into a, a relationship with his body, with his church. And today you can know that salvation that Jesus has for you, you'll only trust in him. There's nothing more to do but to believe in Jesus, trust in his name. He will save you. He'll make you a a part of his body, the church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we understand today that 
unity is really, it's always a struggle. Because if we're honest with ourselves, Lord, our flesh, it tends to be selfish and self-centered. But Lord, you died on the cross to conquer our sin nature. To conquer our fleshly desires. So that we could be unified as one body testifying to the gospel Jesus Christ. Oh Father, we confess our weaknesses. And Lord, we pray for your strength. Give us strength to live in the Spirit, not the flesh. To work towards unity in the body. So that when the lost world looks in and sees us, sees how we love one another, care for one another, that they give glory to your name. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.